Let's pray. Oh, our Lord and our God, you are so big and you are so powerful and you are so wonderful. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do. And Lord, as we open your word and we take a look at it, open our hearts, help us to see you more clearly and draw us closer to Christ. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. So today, my verse is from Isaiah 40 in verse 17. So Isaiah chapter 40, verse 17. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. One of my new all-time favorite books outside the Bible is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Part one was written in 1678. So think about that for just a moment. It was written 344 years ago, and yet it is still as fresh and enduring today as it was when it was written. I find the story so captivating, and I literally feel like I'm an invisible spectator walking alongside Christian on his journey to the celestial city. Countless references have been made to Bunyan's work over the years, and you cannot read very much Spurgeon without encountering references to places and people that Bunyan chronicles in his book. The Prince of Preachers had this to say, quote, next to the Bible, the book I value most is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. I believe I have read it through at least a hundred times. It is a volume of which I never seem to tire, and the secret of its freshness is that it is so largely compiled from the scriptures. Now, I've read portions of it off and on throughout the years, but I just finished reading it cover to cover last week, and I hope to read it many, many times before I leave this world. As many of you know, Christian's journey is one fraught with peril. We experienced him leaving the city of destruction, sinking into the slough of despond, climbing the hill of difficulty, passing through the valley of humiliation and the valley of the shadow of death. And we read with angst as he and his friend Hopeful veer into Bypath Meadow and end up imprisoned at Doubting Castle. And finally, toward the end of the journey, I'm on the edge of my seat as I experience the jubilation of Christian and Hopeful as they cross the river of death. But the place most terrifying to me in all of Christian's journey is written by Bunyan in this way. Then I saw in my dream that when they were got out of the wilderness, they presently saw a town before them, and the name of that town is Vanity. And at the town there is a fair kept called Vanity Fair. It is kept all the year long. It beareth the name of Vanity Fair because the town where it is kept is lighter than vanity, and also because all that is there sold or that cometh thither is vanity. As is the saying of the wise, all that cometh is vanity. The fair is no new erected business, but a thing of ancient standing. I will show you the original of it. Almost 5,000 years agone, there were pilgrims walking to the celestial city, as these two honest persons are. And Beelzebub, Apollyon, and Legion, with their companions, perceiving by the path that the pilgrims made, that their way to the city lay through this town of vanity. They contrived here to set up a fair, a fair wherein should be sold all sorts of vanity, and that it should last all year long. Therefore, at this fair are such merchandise sold as houses, lands, trades, places, honors, preferments, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, and delights of all sorts, as whores, bods, wives, children, 
husbands, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, soul, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and whatnot. And moreover, at this fair, there is at all times to be seen juggling cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, and rogues, and that of every kind. Here are to be seen, too, and that for nothing, thefts, murders, adulteries, false swears, and that of a blood-red color. The pilgrims, Christian and his companion faithful, were not well received in Vanity Fair. It says that the town itself, as it were, in a hubbub about them, and that for several reasons. First, the pilgrims were clothed with such kind of raiment as was diverse from the raiment of any that traded in that fair. Secondly, and as they wondered at their apparel, so they did likewise at their speech, for few could understand what they said. They naturally spoke the language of Canaan. Thirdly, but that which did not a little amuse the merchandisers was that these pilgrims set very light by all their wares. They cared not so much as to look upon them. And if they called upon them to buy, they would put their fingers in their ears and cry, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and look upwards, signifying that their trade and traffic was in heaven. The account of Vanity Fair goes on, but we don't have time for more details. I have to read the book to find out what happens. But I said earlier that Vanity Fair is the place most terrifying to me in this entire book. Why? Because I am living and buying in Vanity Fair. And I am enjoying way too much of it. And and if you are honest with yourself, you are too. Sure, we may not be partaking of the, quote, delights of all sorts as whores, bods, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, body, and souls. But are we not inordinately worried about silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and whatnot? We may be sickened by the, quote, juggling cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, and rogues, and that of every kind. And we might be appalled by the thefts, murders, adulteries, false swears, and that of a blood-red color. But how much effort do we put in to feed our pride by purchasing these dainties in Vanity Fair? Quote, all such merchandise sold as houses, lands, trades, places, honors, preferments, titles, countries, kingdoms. If I were to be transported to the very city of Vanity Fair along with those pilgrims, I'm not sure I'm offensive enough to them to be beaten and imprisoned by those of Vanity Fair? Would they see and hear enough of a discernible difference to set upon me? And I ask, how is it with you? Just like Christian, we have to pass through Vanity Fair on our way to the celestial city. How do we stay true to our Savior and as unspotted as possible? We can't do it in our own strength. We have not the power. And we are vain creatures by our very nature. No set of man-made legalistic rules followed is of any value to us. That kind of mindset will only feed pride, judgmentalism, and will lead straight to works righteousness. Matthew 23, 25, Christ said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. We need to be seen always as clothed in the righteousness of Christ, or as Bunyan puts it, quote, raiment as was diverse from the raiment of any that traded in that fair. 
Isaiah 61 10 says, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. We need to speak as Bunyan describes the speech of Christian and faithful as quote, few could understand what they said. They naturally spoke the language of Canaan. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. And thirdly, we need to be careful what we buy and what we even set our eyes upon in Vanity Fair. As it was said of the pilgrims, they, quote, set very light by all their wares. They cared not so much as to look upon them. And if they called upon them to buy, they would put their fingers in their ears and cry, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and look upwards, signifying that their trade and traffic was in heaven. First John 2.15 says it very succinctly, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What we truly need is more holiness and we need more boldness. And we must plead with God at his mercy seat to grant it to us. There is just no other way. Amen.